Legacy Podcasts present Torque, a novel by Ty Drago, performed for you by the author, and featuring music by Nicholas Allen Nelson. The Seventh Cog. Rand had been walking for hours. Exhaustion nagged at him as, alone in the dark, he carried the body of his hero. More than once he'd had to put down the dead lud and rest, sweat stinging his eyes and his breath coming in heaving gasps. But each time he did so, the rats approached. Rand knew he had two choices. Leave the deceased Torque to become the supper of vermin, or continue like this until he collapsed and became rat food himself. The smarter move was obvious, but what would Torque do? And despite everything today had shown him, Rand knew the answer. So, each time he waited until the skittering of the rats grew loud enough to echo along the ancient tunnel like an approaching army. Then, groaning, he once again flung Torque's body over his shoulder and continued on his way. Not that Rand had a way. He was lost. The knot at the base of the drop was the deepest he'd ever been, the bottom of the machine. According to the old stories, no one had been in this warren of tunnels in living memory. The old places. There had to be a way out, a way up. He'd hoped to follow Torque's map, but this labyrinth was huge, and every tunnel looked the same. And Rand quickly learned that if you use a map, you not only needed to know where you were going, but also where you were. At one point, he almost turned back, telling himself that this blind exploration was crazy. But what good would that do? At best, he'd end up once again in the knot at the base of the drop, there to slowly starve amidst the garbage and people waste. So he determined to keep going, come what may. At the instant he made that fatalistic decision, something lashed down from the ceiling and clamped its teeth around Torque's lifeless shoulder. A grabber. Normally they fed on rats, but any meat, living or dead, attracted them, and this one was bigger and bolder than most. Acting on instinct, Rand shoved the pipe lamp into the grabber's face. Its teeth were sharp but small, unable to pierce Torque's metal armor. Instead, the creature had hooked its lower fangs into the underside of the shoulder guard and was holding on fiercely. That's what grabbers did. They grabbed. They latched onto their victim with a mouth often as big as a man's fist. Then they injected a poison to paralyze their prey. After that, still latched on, their stomach juices would rise up their eel-like bodies and begin the business of digestion right there in the grabber's mouth. Rand had seen examples of the burns they left behind. Fortunately, the creatures were sensitive to light. Reacting to the pipe lamp, the grabber recoiled. Its long, sinewy body retreated into the crack in the tunnel's ceiling from which it had attacked, but kept its grip on the dead hero, almost pulling him off Rand's shoulder. For a moment, Rand considered letting the grabber have the body, but instead he steeled himself and wrapped his arms around Torque's torso and pulled back with all his fading strength. The grabber hissed its outrage, but within moments it was clear Rand was winning their tug-of-war. Then another attacked, this time from a hole in the floor. Its teeth found the meat of Rand's hamstring. White-hot pain raced up his leg. He cried out as his knee buckled. A moment later, a third grabber slithered at him from further up the tunnel and clamped onto his other leg just below his hip. Almost immediately, a terrible numbness flooded Rand's lower body. Yet he still couldn't bring himself to let go of Torque. Lucy always said he was as stubborn as any grabber. Lucy, Rand thought. Steam, said a voice. Rand blinked in the darkness. Use the steam. Rand didn't pause to wonder who it was. Instead, with the paralysis leeching up into his belly and chest, Rand fumbled for the pipe and hit the steam button. 
billows of hot vapor filled the tunnel, floor to ceiling and wall to wall. Rand winced and turned his head, squeezing his eyes shut as the blowback scalded most of the right side of his body. But it worked. The grabber shrieked. The two latched onto Rand, recoiled and fled, disappearing into the respective holes. A second later, the ceiling grabber let go and Tork's limp, armored body hit the rusted metal floor like the crash of a dozen cymbals. As the steam dispersed, Rand dropped onto his hands, still clutching the pipe. His breath came in quick, ragged gasps. He considered standing, but both his legs were numb, though when he slapped the one that had been steam-burned, he felt a jolt of acid pain race from his toes to his hip. That was good. The grabber's poison hadn't had time to take hold. He'd be okay in a minute or two, flash boiling notwithstanding. They'll come back, the voice warned. We need to be gone when they do. Gasping, Rand straightened and pointed the pipe lamp down the tunnel, where its light splashed over the pale round face of No Name. The Ludling looked back at him from ten feet away, the hide satchel still over his shoulder. His eyes were wide open from the darkness, yet he didn't seem bothered by the pipe lamp's sudden glare. Son of a rat turd! Rand exclaimed. How? I know these tunnels, No Name replied casually. We are close to where I found my satchel. He knew these tunnels? How could anybody know this ancient warren well enough to navigate it in the dark? And even if he somehow did, why wasn't he grabber food? As if reading Rand's mind, No Name explained, Grabbers hunt by sound and movement. As long as you're quiet, they don't notice you. That was something Rand hadn't known. He tried to stand up, wobbled, fell, and tried again. The second time, he managed it. You know a way out of here? He asked, annoyed at the desperation in his voice. How could I be here if I didn't? It was a solid point. Then No Name said, But for now, I think we'd better head to where I found my satchel. It's nearby and there's food and water there. Rand tried to recall the last time he'd eaten. Half a day ago, at least. He and Hunger were old companions, and Rand had long ago learned how to ignore the empty feeling in his gut. But now that the precious word had been spoken aloud, his stomach started growling. He stood, testing his legs, his strength had returned, mostly. With trembling arms, he hoisted Torque's remains once more over his shoulder. Lead me, Rand told the Ludling. As No Name turned and started walking, he replied cryptically, As if I could. And Rand followed him, questions roiling inside his head with every step. Who was this Ludling? How had he found Rand in this maze and in perfect darkness? What about this mysterious sanctuary of his? If a place like that, with food and water, even existed down here, how had the little Lud found it? The old places were nobody's playground. No Name advised Rand to shut off the pipe lamp, explaining that there were more grabber nests along their route, and any light would announce their presence. So instead, Rand held Torque's pipe out in front of him in the darkness and let No Name take hold of the other end. That way they stayed connected through the many twists and turns. Not much was said between them, which was fine, as it let Rand think. Something about No Name had changed. He looked and sounded the same, except he didn't. This No Name seemed more self-possessed, more confident. And when he spoke, his voice was older. We're close, the Ludling announced, pausing to point up ahead. About fifty feet along the tunnel, faint light was visible. What's that? Rand asked. Just another tunnel. But it has lights. Yeah, No Name said. How? Some light runes have been drawn, that's all. Some light what? Runes. You know, those glowing symbols on the walls? They're down here too? Rand asked, astonished. 
They can be drawn anywhere, the Ludling replied. What are you talking about? Light runes aren't fixed in place. You can draw one anywhere and turn off the ones that are on. You just have to know how. And you know how? Yeah. And how by root do you know how? Lucy, Ran knew, would have kicked him for using the god's name in vain, but No Name only laughed and didn't reply. They approached the illumination, finally reaching a T-junction amidst three juxtaposed gearboxes. Here, just as No Name had said, light marks glowed on the walls every few yards. Despite their mystery, Rand was relieved to see them. He looked up and down the long, relatively straight tunnel. Where's this go? No Name pointed left. If you follow that, after a while you'll find a pipe that you can climb up to the next level, and then the next. Eventually, you'll end up in the knot where we met. The way out. Rand's sense of relief deepened. First light and now escape. He'd pretty much given up on both. And the other way, he asked. The Ludling pointed right. Down there's where I found my satchel. No Name started marching in that direction. Um, shouldn't we just head up and out? Rand asked, hurrying after him. Long walk, No Name replied without pausing. There's food and water up ahead. Rand glanced longingly over his shoulder, thinking about Lucy and the twins. They had to believe he was dead, squashed flat at the bottom of the drop. The idea made his stomach twist. He wanted, needed, to get back to them. But the thought of food and water was solid, too. So he kept walking. After a few hundred steps, the corridor ended at an opening cut into the side of a big gearbox. The cut looked clean and fairly recent, or at least not ancient. Beyond the threshold, darkness waded, thick as a solid wall. But no name crossed into it without a moment's hesitation. This is it? Rand asked. Yeah, the Ludling replied. Then, his body all but invisible in the gloom, he turned and traced his finger along the inside wall of the gearbox. Light filled the space. What did you just do? Rand asked, coming forward. Drew a light rune. Rand looked from him to the glowing mark on the inside wall of the gearbox and back again. How? I'll show you later. It's easy. But you didn't draw the others, the ones in the tunnel. Nope. Who did? Don't know. Rand sighed. Then at least tell me who taught you this magic. The Ludling looked at him guilelessly. There's no such thing as magic. The Eighth Cog Rand followed no name into the gearbox. It was bigger than most, maybe 20 feet to a side and half that high. It had been emptied of pipes and gears, and most of the work looked fresh, the cuts free of rust. Whoever had cleared this place had done it relatively recently. The walls were smooth and unbroken, except for a small shadowed niche set in the back, where the light mark didn't reach. Light rune, Rand corrected himself. But what by root was a rune? This is where you got that satchel, he asked. Nope, but it's pretty close. How'd you find this place? No Name absently scratched his chin. Long story. I know it's supposed to be scary down here, with all those tales about ghosts who steal your breath. I heard they eat your heartbeats. That too. Except I've been all over this place and I've never seen even a single spirit. Just lots of forgotten knots and empty gearboxes like this one. Rand went over and peered into the shadowed niche. There were crates there, stacked up neatly against the wall. A few stood open. He was stunned to find them full of keepable foods. Salted beef and pork, canned fruits and vegetables, and jugs of water. 
depositing Torque's body down on the cold floor, perhaps a bit less respectfully than he should have, Rand pulled out a tin of salted meat, peeled back its lid, and ate. The food was delicious, and he eagerly devoured it, every bite. When he looked up, No Name was watching him. Aren't you hungry? Rand asked. Nope. I'm starved, Rand exclaimed, dropping his ass onto the gearbox floor and opening another tin. I see that. As Rand ate, No Name knelt beside the body. Who was he? Isn't it obvious? Rand replied as he emptied half a jug of water, almost groaning with pleasure. Torque. Torque, the Ludling echoed. But he wasn't born Torque, right? He must have had parents, a name. So did you, Rand pointed out, and I still don't know what that is. No name nodded as if this was a fair point, but not one worth pursuing. Instead, he reached down and pulled Torque's gilded helmet unceremoniously off the dead man's head. Wait, Rand protested. What are you doing? What's wrong? No Name asked, looking honestly perplexed. He's certainly done with it. That doesn't mean you should swipe from him. He's Torque. Have some respect. Torque. No Name echoed again, turning the helmet over in his small hands. Meanwhile, Rand's eyes were drawn down to the face of the Lud who'd worn it. Of course, the lowest champion must have had parents. So had Rand, presumably, though he had no idea who they were. At least in Torque's case, there was a clue. Rand pulled the old photograph from his pocket and studied it. Was this the Ainsley the dead Lud had mentioned? Seeing it now in better light, Rand suddenly realized why her face was familiar. The upper lass on the lift platform. No wonder Torque had been nice to her. But what did any of it mean? Then Rand remembered the map. Pulling it out of his pocket, he showed it to No Name. Does this look familiar to you? The Ludling took it, studying it for half a minute. Looks like a map of this level. He replied finally. Some of it, anyway. That's what I thought, too, Rand said. Not that it helped me much. I still got completely lost, but see the circled area with the marks in it? Home, No Name remarked. What? Home. It says home in the modern language. Rand stared at him. You can read? Sure. You can't? Of course not. Rand didn't know anyone who could read. Reading and writing were forbidden to lower folk by law. High above, the Upper Lords had libraries and newspapers, but such things were considered inappropriate for the Luds and Lasses below the middle market. Everybody knew that. Everybody, it seemed, except no name. Who taught you? Rand asked. To read the modern language? Nobody. It's not so hard if you spend the time and have the right books. Rand blinked. Books? Nodding, no name shook the satchel off his shoulder. Then he threw back its flap and dropped two objects on the floor in front of Rand. Books. These were incredibly rare in the lowers. In his life, Rand didn't think he'd glimpsed more than three or four for sale up in the middle market, and only ever from a distance. Yet this Ludling was strolling around with two of them. In any sort of decent condition, either would fetch enough coin to feed Lucy and the twins for a year. Of course, he'd have to find a way to sell them quietly. Just having them was a crime. Where'd you find these, he asked. At the bottom of the drop. No name replied, as if people scavenged there every day. In truth, Rand knew of no one who'd ever visited that terrible knot. Before today, Rand hadn't even been entirely sure the drop had a bottom. The bottom of the drop, he muttered, shaking his head. Yeah, some upper lud must have thrown him out. There are a lot of books there, but most get chewed up by rats. I got lucky with these two. Gingerly, Rand picked up the first one. Its cover felt rough and stiff made of hide like the satchel, but harder and older. 
Opening it, he let his fingers run across the first page. There were marks, of course. Letters, Rand corrected himself. Books were filled with letters, though Rand had no idea what they might mean. It's called a primer, No Name explained. You start on the third page and then just go page by page until what you see starts to make some sense. Like I said, it takes time. Rand turned to page three, finding he rather liked how the paper felt beneath his touch. There he found a full-color drawing of an enormous apple. Beside it, a big green letter had been printed. I don't understand, he said, feeling utterly stupid. What's it mean? The name of the thing shown in the picture starts with that letter, No Name explained. A for apple. Then, after some thought, he added, Why don't you keep that? Like I said, take some studying before it starts making sense. The Ludling was giving him a book, like it was nothing. Rand's throat went suddenly dry, despite all the water he drunk. Thanks. You're welcome. Did you notice the door? What door? The Ludling pointed over Rand's shoulder. That door. Rand looked. There, curtained by the gloom, stood a heavy iron door. Doors were rare in the lowers. Factories had them. So did the giant's church in the middle, but not much else. And this was one of the biggest Rand had ever seen. Solid, imposing, and from the lack of rust, fairly new, like the empty gearbox and its cut-out entrance. Rand hadn't even noticed it, having only had eyes for the food. What's in there? he asked. Don't know, no name replied. It's always been locked. Oh, Rand said. No name eyed him pointedly. Don't suppose you have the key. The key? Why would Rand possibly have a key to this door? He didn't think he'd ever even seen a key. Then he recalled Torque's iron something. He took it out and looked at it, studying the jagged pattern of teeth that ran along one side of its shaft. Was this a key? There you go, No Name said, not sounding particularly surprised. I found it, Rand explained, not really sure why he felt an explanation was necessary. Torque had it on him. Well, that figures, doesn't it? Why? No Name held up the map and pointed to the marks, letters, in the red circle. Home. Rand blinked. You mean this is that place on the map? Ludling nodded. Torque's been living here? Rand mused. Guess so. And you never saw him? Not even once? I thought you knew this level. No Name shrugged. Standing, Rand took a few seconds to figure out how the key fit into the hole in the door's lock. But once inserted, it turned easily, the mechanism clearly oiled and well-maintained. He pushed the heavy door open. Immediately and wordlessly, No Name slipped past him and across the new threshold before turning and running one of his small, blunt fingers across the wall just inside the door. Light suddenly illuminated everything within. It was another gearbox, bigger than this one, though here some of the old gear work remained. What had once been a crankshaft, at least a foot thick, ran across the width of the room, up near the high ceiling, and disappeared through a sleeved hole in the far wall. Rand wondered what it did. The purpose of the rest of this space, however, was pretty obvious. It was a flop. Someone lived here. An upper lord. There was a bed with a burnished brass headboard and what looked like a genuine down mattress. The other furniture was similarly fancy, very upper. There was also a hearth, vented through a deliberate hole cut into the ceiling so that smoke would rise away. Beside that hearth were tools for cooking, along with a cast-iron pot large enough to feed half the lowers. Torque had lived well, and there were books, dozens of them, 
They lined the shelves of a nearby iron case, more books than Rand had ever imagined existed, a fortune of them, many fortunes of them. But perhaps most startling of all was the armor. There was so much of it. Pairs of gauntlets meant to cover the hands, and greaves and cuses to guard the legs. There were also masks and helmets, at least a dozen of them, all mounted on iron pegs fitted into the metal wall. Handmade gold plate, every bit of it. And finally there was coin, chests of it, gold, silver, and copper, freshly minted and gleaming. Wow, No Name exclaimed. I should bring Torque in here, Rand said. Lay him on his own bed. Thanks, Sal. Feels like the right thing to do. Instead of replying, No Name walked over to a small brass table, which had some kind of gadget atop it. The thingamajig was square, perhaps 18 inches on a side, and sported a large canvas hood. There was a crank, which the Ludling turned. Music began to play. Rand jumped in surprise. He'd heard of such things, but had never imagined that he'd see one. A genuine phonograph. Sound recorded on wax discs. Approaching, he peered down under the hood and watched one of those discs turning round and round, with a thin needle resting on a balanced arm bobbing gently as it read the grooves. The only music in the lowers was heard when someone, a living someone, sang. And the tunes were always sad. But this music was lively, made up of both string and wind instruments, something that upper lords and ladies might dance to. No one danced the lowers music. Rand looked at No Name only to find that he'd wandered over to the racks of armor. So Rand joined him there, studying the assortment of plates and masks. They were clearly the same, but different. Though it took Rand a few seconds to realize what the difference was. They're not all the same size, he said. No Name didn't reply. Rand took a masked helmet off its peg and held it up. Then he compared it to the one that Torque had worn, and which No Name had brought in with them. Definitely bigger. Why would Torque need different sizes for his own armor? No Name wondered. Rand had no answer. This gearbox was ancient, as ancient as the machine itself. But the door and furnishings, and certainly this armor, were new, no more than twenty years old. Somebody had come down here and found this place deep in the bowels. They'd drawn the light runes so that they could work in ease, and then they'd cleaned out these two gearboxes and turned them into somebody's, well, somebody's home. Torque's home. Rand looked back up at the rows of armor. There seemed only one solid explanation for it all. Over the past two decades, there had been more than one Torque. Later on, Rand would mark that revelation as the moment his world forever changed. The Ninth Cog Over the next hour, Rand and No Name searched the gearbox, top to bottom. So much was unfamiliar, and not only the furniture. Torque had owned chests and shelves and things to put in them and on them. Everything was rust-free and polished, and while most of the pieces served some obvious purposes, others Rand puzzled over before realizing they were simply for show. Imagine owning something that does nothing but look pretty. In drawers, they found upper folk clothes, all factory-made linen, no burlap or canvas for this lud. On the bedside table stood a framed photograph that particularly fascinated Rand. In it, an upper lud and upper lass stood side by side, smiling into the camera. The lass was undoubtedly Ainsley, only a bit younger. The lud was Torque, or more accurately, the lud who had worn Torque. For that was the terrible secret of this place. Torque wasn't a person. Torque was a suit of armor a legend brought to artificial reality. Mech, not magic. 
upper, not lower. Rand had based his whole life on a lie. While tales of Torque went back generations, the hero himself had only reappeared in the last twenty years or so. And given everything Rand had discovered here, it seemed pretty clear what that meant. Some upper lord had decided to plant a false Torque in the lowers, basing him here at the bottom of the machine. From this hidden flop, the lowers champion, would periodically follow the lit corridors outside the gearbox and sneak his way up to the middle market. Then he'd dramatically appear and do his torque bit. The only remaining question was, why? And Rand thought he knew the answer to that, too. He sat down on Torque's bed, the only bed he'd ever seen, and buried his face in his hands. He didn't cry. Rand had given up on tears long ago. But he shook. He shook with anger and more than a little self-loathing. He'd defended the innocent, often beating Stainer's senseless to honor a sham, a joke, a lie. They put him here, he finally said aloud. Who put who here? No name asked. Rand looked up to find the Ludling standing beside him, quiet and attentive. The Upper Lords, he replied miserably. They put Torque here. It was a trick, and now that I know that, it explains some things. Torque always kept to the middle market. He was rarely, if ever, seen in the lowers. And besides some showy rescues and good keeper fights, what did he do? The answer's not much. Not much at all. But the Torque you brought here is too young for that, No Name pointed out. That's just because he's the latest of them. Being Torque is dangerous. I'm guessing whenever one of them got seriously hurt, made one too many impossible jumps or whatever, he was simply replaced with a new Torque. Rand gestured at the gilded armor. That's where all that came from. Each Lud was a different size, and they kept the older ones around because, well, where else would they put them? But what for? No Name pressed. Why'd the Upper Lords need a fake Torque? He was a pressure valve, Rand replied. Then, when the Ludling's brow furrowed, he explained. A drudge once told me how a boiler works. It uses heat to turn water to steam to run a factory. But if too much steam builds up, there needs to be a way to bleed it off, otherwise the boiler will explode. The part that does the bleeding is called a pressure valve. Now, think of the lowers like a boiler. So many angry, desperate people. Yet still they hammer us down, squashing anything that looks even remotely like rebellion except all that opposition heats over time getting steadily worse like steam building up in a boiler. And like a boiler, it can explode. Strikes, riots, revolution. Unless you've got a pressure valve, something to give folks hope, something to root for, something, someone, bigger than themselves. No Name said, Torque. Torque, Rand nodded. I always figured he was biding his time, causing trouble and waiting for the right moment to set us all free. I never said as much, and I don't know anyone else who did either, but that was how I read it. No Name did a strange thing. He sat down beside Torque and rested a small hand on his shoulder. It was a supportive gesture, considerate, but weirdly grown up. I'm sorry, Rand, he said. Me too, No Name went on. All of your people saw what happened today. Torque's dead as far as the lower folk are concerned. I ken that. Does that mean there'll be an explosion? I don't know. What about the Upper Lords? Will they send down a new Torque? Rand considered that. Maybe, except, like you said, Torque took his fall in front of a hundred witnesses. No way could he have survived. The Ludling looked pointedly at him. You did? Well, yeah, 
but only because I had this. Rand held up the pipe. Then why couldn't Torque just reappear? As if by magic. Rand's thoughts came to a screeching halt. Why couldn't he? Um, how well do you really know these tunnels? He asked No Name. Well enough to know that map of yours is wrong in some spots, the Ludling replied at once. It misses whole sections, better sections. Better how? More remote. Deeper, Rand swallowed. How much deeper? Something in the Ludling's gaze sent a chill up Rand's spine. Suddenly, No Name's dark eyes looked old. Ancient. In fact, they looked as if they'd been old back when ancient was shiny and new. Then the moment passed, and No Name absently did something that was solidly Ludling-like. He picked his nose. A lot deeper, he replied. But how? Rand asked. We're already on the same level as the bottom of the machine. Nope, just the bottom of the drop. But that's not the real bottom. Seriously? No Name nodded. Deeper than the drop? It was a scary notion, but maybe not as scary as it used to be. Rand stood up. Then what we need to do is take as much of this coin and other stuff as we can carry and hide it somewhere that Torque's bosses won't find. Somewhere they'll never even think to look. You know a place like that? The Lulling replied. Yeah. Are we taking the armor too? Rand glanced over at the gearbox's far wall. There hung the real Torque, the true Lower's champion. Not a Lud, an idea. Especially the armor, he told No Name. Discover what Rand has in mind in Episode 4 of Torque by Ty Drago. Or, if you can't bear the weight, the full novel is available in paperback and ebook formats on Amazon.com. Thanks for listening.